Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 187 of the Square Ball podcast with Levi Solicitors with 10% off your legal fees. When you mention the Square Ball, if you head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball, you'll get all the information that you need. I'm Dan Moylan and I'm joined by Michael Normanton. Hello. And this one is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. The final issue of the season, issue eight, is out now on sale via our website and the new Bielsa mugs, they sold out twice over. We have reordered for a third batch and they will ship on June the 29th if you want to get your hands on those. Have a look at the new merch that's coming in as well and the coasters at the squareball.net. Well, it's a couple of days on from the defeat at Cardiff now. Have we rationalised it a little bit more? I thought we were surprisingly calm on the match ball on Sunday, to be perfectly honest. I thought we took defeat quite well, given how disappointing it was. I was surprised to read comments online saying we'd cheered people up because I left it feeling really depressed and I thought what we've done there is a depressing podcast after a depressing match. But some people said it helped, so maybe that's not as depressing as I thought. I think although I was struggling with the league table during the match ball, we did end up a little bit further away from Fulham overall, didn't we? The same distance, actually. Okay. <laughs> this this is the exact mistake you made during well, the match. Well, where have I read that we we were like an extra point? Oh, I don't bloody know. Like We both, we both lost, okay. so it, it can't have changed, can it? Well... <laughs> there are fewer games there, there, there are not as many games to play yeah I guess that helps that is the main difference yes yes yeah, so if if we'd have just been starting if the Cardiff game had never happened and we were going in saying that we've got eight games left and we've got the is it an eight point gap or seven point gap seven point gap you'd be alright with that one yeah still going up with uh, with ribbons tied around our pigtails so it's not a problem what it has done is we were working out the the swing of points necessary for us to get promoted and we won't go into the full detail of it all now, but three of those points have now been removed that Fulham could possibly get. So it has helped as these games tick off because if we are seven points clear with two games to go, that means we're promoted, Moscow. Do you know what we could do? Lose every game and then laugh our heads off as Fulham lose all their games as well and don't catch us. <laughs> I think Brentford might in that case. Oh, Brentford can lose their games as well. Just go up, just don't win another game, don't score another goal, but nobody can uh, can touch us. I think that would be a fun thing to try. We gave that a bit of a go last year, didn't we? And I didn't really enjoy how that turned out, to be honest. No, although I did read some stuff saying that even if we have the same disastrous runners at the end of last year and Fulham are as good as Norwich and Sheffield United were, I think we would still go up. I'm sure I read that somewhere. Our final nine games last season, we got 10 points in that run. So 1.11 points per game. Um, Not great, but it would probably still give us a chance. But let's not even think about that. Let's concentrate first and foremost, Cardiff at the weekend. And the words that Bielsa used, which are probably important to hone in on, we couldn't avoid the consequences of our mistakes. And that is what the, the game turned on. It was those mistakes. Looking back at that first goal, I'm not sure we needed to concede from this. 
Like when he gives it away, it's not like he's the last man and he's put someone through on goal. The put still on the prep sheet. And you can still see there's Ben White, Cooper, Calvin and Dallas are all in the shot. And there's only three Cardiff players there. I think at some point, Cooper needs to just go to Hoylet a bit sooner maybe and try and block the shot because him and Ben White both kind of half go towards him and then move off, move away from him at the key moment, which allows him the shot on goal. And then Meslier maybe could do a little bit better with it. It's harsh to say. But I don't know. It felt it feels like Calvin's mistake. We needn't have felt the consequences of that if we'd done better stuff after it. I like you including Dallas in that with his starting position of 30 yards away on the other wing. He should have got across to block that. The lazy, lazy bastard. When you do break that still down, though, you do see that Ben White's getting dragged off by the runner to, to a wide position. So he's got his, himself caught in two minds because it's an intelligent run by whoever it is that's going left there, which opens the space up for Hoylet. It is, but that's why Cooper needs to push on to the man with the ball. And you can see Calvin's, I don't know who it is, and who else is running in from midfield for them, but Calvin's ahead of him at that point. So I feel like between them, they could have dealt with this if they'd all gone to the right men. But, you know, I suppose good movement and stuff is why football is interesting to watch and how people score goals. So we can't we can't always assume that we should do our job perfectly. You've got to remember the starting positions here as well, because where you've frozen it, that obviously the listeners can't see, but the, the starting position was you've got Liam Cooper sort of about 10 yards behind Calvin Phillips, but he was the one who passed square to Calvin Phillips in the first place for Phillips to then try and uh, lay off back to White. So Cooper has already run back about 25 yards to cover the attacking runs. So he's done a pretty good job of getting back to where he is on this cruel, cruel screenshot of yours that you're uh, you're not allowing him any uh, any credit for. I am going to use a technical football term now, which is transition. And that's the thing. It's because this is a period of transition play we haven't regained our shape defensively yet we're on the back foot and they're on the front foot and they scored a goal from it yeah all our players were turning round while theirs were just sort of running in a straight line dead giddy because they were going to score a goal and it was a good finish as well and it was pointed out I don't know what foot Junior Hoylet prefers but he was being guarded uh, or guided away from the goal he just managed to get it absolutely perfectly and off the um, into the Next to the post, would whereas Glatzel in the second half pinged it in right off the post. There were two cracking finishes as well. I wouldn't particularly look at Milieu um, asking him why he didn't do any better because he would probably say they hit the ball incredibly well and I didn't stand a chance with either of them. So there'd be no point in asking him because it would just be either I don't need to be that pregnant. It's like Sean Connery impression that was, wasn't it? Second one then, we're not, we're not faulting Meslier at all then, we say that's okay, because um, it was just a straightforward giveaway, uh, pass, twice it in the net. It's a really good finish as the second one. I think he wouldn't hit it as well again, probably if you gave it to him. I mean, I don't know, what you, you were looking at it on um, Sunday Moscow at the XG for it. It was low, wasn't it? Yes, I don't remember exactly for that one, but there was, there was precious little in it for um, Cardiff in the end. I think the score should have been by sort of the average of the different XGs that I've seen it ends up like two goals for us and about like a quarter of one for them. But yeah, the, he hit it very sweetly on the the volley, the kind of finishing I yearn for from our team. And I think that's um, maybe part of the frustration of watching those two goals go in for 
Cardiff is kind of that that feeling that if we'd been given the ball in those positions, we probably would have twatted it into the stand and been no better off. I know we um, mentioned a lot about Bamford at the weekend because he's really frustrating to watch as a footballer because he's clearly got a lot of qualities and he does work very hard for the team. Uh, you know, pulls defenders all over the place, but he he is perpetually frustrating in terms of his finishing and just being that little half a yard off things uh, sometimes. But I was thinking about this, were we being unfair to Bamford at the weekend? And another thing you notice is that we have a hell of a lot of crosses or through balls or whatever they might be that just either hit the first man or, or don't make it in. So we have a lot of attacking play and a lot of chances, but very few ever feel clear cut. Not like that, you know, the header that Roberts did. I mean, we had so few that resembled that. I thought you were going to say then, were we being un- I thought were we being unfair to him? And I concluded, no, we were not being unfair. Is how I thought that was going to go. Yeah, we don't get the great crossing. But then again, I think I don't generally like Bamford's positioning on crosses. Like I feel like he does the wrong thing, which I know is I know I'm not qualified to say. But when you watch other strikers, they make other runs. Like we've been watching back the League One promotion season for the extra ball. And one thing you notice from that is Becchio is just in the right place all the time. Like when crosses are in, he just makes, he moves backwards and forwards off a defender at the right point and gets his head on the ball. And I don't really get that from Bamford. Yeah, Becchio was always aggressive, even if he, if he at times liked the grace or the touch. He was always there putting his body on the line. And I know football's different now. It's not quite as, as blood and thundery as it, as it used to be 10 years ago. But even still, you sometimes just wish he would like really put himself in there, don't you? And just take that chance and just that extra half a yard of anticipation. There's an element of that when you started whittering about whether he should have gone with his right foot or his left foot and he was whether he was moving in this direction or that direction. If it had been Becchio with that chance, he just would have made sure it went in off his ass. Wouldn't matter if he was left-footed, right-footed, whatever, or he would have chested it in and would have taken a boot to the face or whatever was necessary to get that ball over the line. And that's not something that's about aggression, particularly in saying that you know, one player is is hard as nails and the other one's soft. It's it's just this instinct of thinking, if I do this with my entire body, that ball will go over the line and that's my job in this situation. And a player like Becchio was really good at that, of just whatever happened to that ball in the six-yard box, it would be hitting him somewhere and then it's got a better chance of going over the line. Whereas Bamford, it does seem to be that, you know, he's he's thinking, oh, well, I'm left-footed, so I better swing my, my left foot at this. No, but, but there's no chance of controlling that ball with his left foot when the, the answer really was to just launch yourself in there and see what happens. When I say aggressive, I didn't necessarily mean like hard man. I meant the thing that you described, like physically aggressive, just putting your body into it, attacking that ball with everything you've got. And that's the, the thing that I do feel that, he lacks as a striker. And do you know what? I think it's fine to say that. I think it's obvious to anybody who watches him play, with your eyes you can see he's not the complete striker, is he? He lacks that element to his game, that kind of that killer instinct. He just doesn't, for whatever reason, he just doesn't have it. But then I guess that's why we managed to buy him and that's why he cost, you know, seven to nine million pounds and not, what was Mitrovic? Was he 27 million at one point or something silly? There is a, another thing to say about him from Sunday, which is, possibly related to him not getting the, the best of positions, but we had 16 shots against Cardiff. You know how many of those Bamford had? None. One. One. So the fact that we had 16 shots, only two were on target and neither of them were Bamford's, but that means that there were 14 other opportunities to get the ball on target and 
we only managed two of those. So there's other players need to look at where they're kicking the football when they are around the opponent's goal and need to think about maybe putting it sort of more towards the net between the, the white sticks rather than around it and not into it. Have you been reading Michael's coaching manual again? He's been a big influence on some of my football ideas. I know everybody's been amazed by the education we've had under Bielsa, but um, I look at another guru. It's interesting. Who's pulled these stats out, by the way, saying that we were basically bang average according to what we do with under Bielsa? This was me because I thought coming back after such a big pause, the big question would be, are we able to keep standards up would we be able to continue the momentum from beforehand and the the result the scoreline says no because we hadn't conceded a goal in about 20 years before lockdown and we've we've conceded two and we were obviously on a, a run of 15 straight victories and we lost that game but pretty much everything was as good as it was statistically before the big pause and it'll be one of those when if Bielsa is interviewed on, on Thursday and somebody says, well, what did you think about the performance against Cardiff? He'll probably say everything was great. Some of the examples was like passing. Our average number of passes in a game is uh, 492 and we did 517. Our average accuracy is 82 and we were at 78 and a half forward passes. Um, average is 170. We played 173. So it's the same. The average is 74, accuracy was 70. So a tiny bit down, but not a, a great deal. Long passes, we normally play 52. We played 56. Accuracy is normally 54% and we were better. We did 60% passes to the final third. Average is 60.5. We played 60. The, and the accuracy was actually improved. Average is 67% and our accuracy on Sunday was 78%. So pretty much everything I went through all the attacking and defensive stats I could I could find before my eyes glazed over. And you couldn't see anything that was appreciably worse. Apart, and one improvement I would add is that although uh, maybe it's a consequence of Cardiff playing so deep and so defensive, we had 10 more attacks than uh, we do on average. The only thing that was really, really down is our... We, we were very average, and when I say average, our normal number of shots we average 15.6 in a game and we had 16 so we're basically we're as good as we normally are for shooting but for getting them on target our average is 33.2 and only 12 and a half percent of them were on target and that's what makes me think although you do in that situation look at the striker and ask why he hasn't scored any goals but then you also say well he didn't have any of these shots that weren't on target so Costa, Harrison, Click, Ailing, who had his run of scoring goals in every game. Why isn't the right back scoring goals? We know what Bamford's like as a as a finisher, and we know that the quality he brings to the team or the benefit he brings to the team is the work he does outside the box to to create chances for the team. But they've got to be finishing them and they've got to be doing better than twelve and a half percent on target. On Pat Bamford again, I did notice from looking at your favourite who scored dot com, they do an average rating for each game. I presume it's sort of algorithm based on shots on target, dribbles completed, stuff like that. And they did have it down as Bamford's worst game of the season. Well, he was pretty bad. So it, I think it is all right to criticise him. I, th- I know there's a lot of people, on, there seems to be a lot of people online to be like, oh, don't have a go at him and stuff. But I think is if we're just going to come on here and say everything's brilliant every week, it's kind of boring. 
to go, oh, well, the lads are trying their best. You know, it's not, we're not talking about like under sevens football where you just kind of go, well, as long as they're all having a nice time, you know, there is, this is, as, as football goes, this is important. One of the things in the stats with um, Bamford was that he was giving the ball away a lot and that was his kind of, his failing. He wasn't really to to blame for what was going on in the, the box any more than he normally is or any more than anybody else normally is. But um, I don't think his work outside the box was up to his usual standard. Let's see him improve. And the other thing is that Bielsa's approach is so stat and data driven and, you know, they wear the vests and they will look at all these metrics, all the stuff that you've just pointed out there, Moscow, the data you've pulled will be presented to Bamford. And that's the basis on which his performance will be judged internally at the club. So I don't think we're saying anything out of turn, at least if we are to say he had a bad game at the weekend, then you can back it up with the numbers because that's exactly what they do at Leeds United. It's data-driven. And it's what the players do as well. If you've seen the the ones who've spoken on social media since, none of them are saying, great performance, unlucky not to get anything out of that one. They're all saying, yeah, that was bad. So, you know, they have bad games occasionally. And the the positive to take from it is that we have not come back after three months without playing a game and been terrible compared to our own standards pretty much everything was where it should be which is actually an incredible achievement considering we didn't go for five substitutions we haven't had any pre-season friendlies to practice we were talking about them seeming rusty and lacking match practice and that's one of the times when the evidence of your eyes kind of gets put into some tension against the statistics because it did feel rusty and the, the two goals for Cardiff did come from mistakes that you would put down to players not having their brains fully engaged. But then you look at something as spooky as us having exactly the average number of shots that we do in every single game that the passing is, is in our 500 per match zone that the, the average number of forward passes is 170 and we played 173. It's almost like they got to 170 and went, right, We've hit it. Stop. No more forward passes. We've we've got the number. So they've come back in full Bielsa mode, but we've seen it so many times over the last two years that full Bielsa mode is is very vulnerable to a mistake here or a mistake there, particularly because it gives shithouse teams like Cardiff the opportunity to just put 10 massive lumps in Alice bands in their penalty area and not even bother kicking the ball after that. So the question is, based on the data and the evidence of seeing it with our own eyes, was that a fair result? Um, yes, because we made mistakes and they didn't. Yeah. Which is annoying because I think on the, on the overall balance of play, if you can take those two mistakes out of it, then no, it wasn't on the overall balance of play, but we did make those mistakes and, you know, that's fair enough, isn't it? That's how football works, unfortunately. If it was all done on like a nice statistical analysis, we'd be up already, but, you know, you have to actually do it on a field which is a bit of a shame as Bielsa himself said if football was played by robots he would always win and despite the criticism of Bamford being on the line to block that shot I mean on another day that does go in doesn't it or even you know bounces off his heel and goes in and then the Roberts header at the other end that goes in so it is fine margins because the tendency when you read Twitter after a match is that we were abysmal that tends to be the opinion or it was a shocking performance and it's not actually when you look at it with a calm head and, you know, when you look at it in, in an analytical sense, we actually did okay. It was just such an anti-climax was part of it, was that we'd been looking forward to football coming back and to Leeds coming back so we could romp the league and all get used to celebrating again. And when it, you've waited that long for something and it's 
like that. You're going to feel the sense of disappointment. But again, that's the same sense of disappointment that was probably felt by Fulham fans and West Brom fans and Millwall fans. Anyone who lost on the weekend will have been thinking exactly the same thing. Middlesbrough fans. I dare say they were expecting it. But, you know, anyone who doesn't win a game feels disappointed after a, after you've had a long stretch of no games. It's But the good thing is there's more games this week and we can win that one instead. So what do we need to do then before Saturday to turn this around and restore a bit of confidence? Don't know if we can do anything before Saturday, but winning on Saturday would probably do a lot of the work. I'm just going to sit in my house and wait for the match. When it was a Royal Wee, I was thinking more like Leeds United. Well, Ali McCoyst's not worried. He was saying, look, everybody needs to calm down. Cardiff, not a bad side. And he's right, you know, that not necessarily to our tastes. And as we said on the match ball, we're pursuing truth, beauty and art. And they were just trying to win, which is a disgusting attitude. But they were pleased with that. And they're on the you know fringes of the playoffs now. But he's saying, I think Leeds will be all right. But the big one was that Fulham lost at the weekend to Brentford and just maintained that gap. And that is the the thing that it boils down to really, isn't it? The gap is, as we said at the start of the podcast, just the same as it was, but with one fewer game to play. And the gap, even if things go badly this weekend, the gap will still be four points, which is, you know, in a normal season, it's fine. It's just that I think the thing with this season is we've had a big gap, which we then allowed to disappear. And then we, we're on the verge of another big gap. And it feels a bit like losing on Sunday is the start of us allowing that to disappear again. But it doesn't have to be. If Sunday is the only defeat in a run that could turn out to be, you know, we, we win 10, but we lost that one, not going to be a problem, is it? It's always about the next game and the idea that we were going to go through this entire post-lockdown mini season without even the slightest wobble was Adam Forshaw's I think we can blame him for putting that in in all our minds so maybe getting the wobble out of the way early and go into the Fulham match without any ability to relax because there won't be any question on Saturday lunchtime of oh, you know, it's good to be back. Everything isn't everything strange and different and what's it going to be like and what a mystery. It'll be right. We were shit last week. Let's get this done. We'll be previewing Fulham later in the week with Phil Hay. The Phil Hay Show, that podcast is going to be out on Friday morning. Uh, He's also got an interview with Stephen McPhail in the pipeline this week. And regards to Fulham, a close tactical look at how that one is going to shape up so it might go slightly beyond our I mean it's nearly the complete football approach isn't it saying just smack it in the goal rather than wide of it but Phil is going to look at the tactical approaches um, of the two teams this week on the Athletic I don't see what Phil Hay could possibly add to be honest well we'll find out everything's ad free on the Athletic for subscribers that's all the articles and all the podcasts as well if you want to get involved you can use our square ball discount at theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball well, most of the people that uh, were due to leave us or contracts expiring or loan deals and so on are staying. But there's one in that list that has not quite made the cut yet. We are retaining uh, Berardi, Harrison staying, uh, Meslier, Ben White, all to the, uh, to the end of July. Jean-Kevin Augustin, apparently due to his fitness, this one. Hmm. Is that the sound of tumbleweed we hear? I think we're just going to try and send him back and hope no one remembers about the whole compulsory purchase thing. Just say, like, Nah, we just, nah, what about the, no, it's fine. You just have him back. We don't need him. Although, we, I mean, we do need a striker, but for whatever reason, we've decided Big Kev ain't the guy. Do what we did with Scott Wooten and the contract was never signed, therefore he never existed. Or Cameron Stewart, that went well. Have we yet got to the bottom of whether he has picked up a secondary injury or not? Because 
And messages have been mixed. I didn't quite manage to pick up on the the absolute truth of this story because there was the second hamstring pull, but then we've heard Popey from Radio Leeds saying that the injury's gone and it's a fitness issue. I think the problem is they asked Bielsa in his press conference on Thursday and or Friday, whichever day it was. It was Thursday, wasn't it? I mean, this lockdown, I don't know what day it is anymore. Anyway, Bielsa did a press conference and they asked him about it and he wasn't especially clear. And then he was asked again to clarify and he wasn't especially clear. And I think it was probably in the uh, the, the chat next to the window on Zoom. The said, Who's got a question left? Ask, ask him again. I'm not fucking asking him. Now, what, what, I don't know what he meant. I would just, ask, just see if you can get him to say it again because I've not got a clue. And in the end, nobody's brave enough to say, Marcelo, we don't know what you're talking about. Could you please tell us? What has happened to Jean-Kevin Augustin? And then an answer may come, but I think after it, after it had been asked twice, and Bielsa always has that face as if he has answered you perfectly. And even if you really don't understand, you just, you, you just think, well, maybe if I go away and listen to that, I'll get it. So you go away, it'll probably be three months from now, one of us will wake up in the middle of the night with his his actual answer ringing around our head and go, oh, I get what he meant now. Oh, yeah, it's obvious. But until then, um, Big Kev remains an uh, enigma shrouded in a mystery, wrapped in a hamstring strain. It does feel a little bit like they are just waiting to deliver bad news at the right time because he's got another week left now until the end of June, which is when the loan deal will expire. And presumably they're in something of a no man's land regards to the permanent deal because the permanent deal would have come into force on the 1st of July, but the uh, the season's obviously not finished yet. So we don't know if we're promoted or not. So we don't know if the obligation kicks in. And it does feel a little bit like Leeds probably don't want to commit to shelling out all the money on wages. They're not obliged to beyond the 30th of June. And there's potentially a little bit of a, I don't know, a bit of disagreement in the air. I mean, two thirds of this deal, I presume don't want it to happen because we don't. And I assume... Big Kev doesn't want to just run around a running track for the rest of his days. So I guess it's only really Leipzig who will want this to go through because they'll want some money for a slightly crocked, unfit player. But if you can't make a man move to a different country, can you, and play for a team he doesn't want to play for, surely? I mean, there's there's a lot of leaps and assumptions in, in that. The other angle is that he is coming back from a hamstring injury that was keeping him out for quite a while and what's the way that Marcelo Bielsa normally brings a player back from injury they get some games in the under 23s to get the match sharpness and then they come back into the first team squad and then they get on the pitch where are the under 23 games going to come from for him to to get fit so I don't know if there is necessarily this conspiracy behind the idea that he is training on his own to try and get extra fitness to get extra match sharpness that isn't available to him in the normal way because there aren't friendlies to be played. There aren't under 23 matches. He can play training matches, but are the, the couple that we, we played behind closed doors and to get ready for the, the Cardiff game, are they the ones that can get him up to fitness? Does he, is he maybe just, he is a week behind everybody else because of the, the hangover from starting lockdown with a, an injury. He wasn't in a position where all the other players, if you look at Jackie Harrison, who is, freakishly strong and you saw him from the get-go during lockdown videoing himself on his Instagram stories looking like the fittest person in the world trying to get even fitter because he had that level already when we saw Big Kev coming out looking much fitter than he did when we'd last seen him it had taken him a time to get to that point because at the start of it he had a 
a hamstring that meant he couldn't play. He was two weeks away from playing when, when lockdown started. So he started from a point of view of getting over a, an injury and has had to try and I don't even know what the, I know that players have been able to go into Thorpe Arch for one-on-one medical treatment in case of being injured, but none of it's been ideal. This has not been the, the situation for a player to be getting over an injury in a, a normal way. And it could just be that he's done all the work, he's got as fit as he possibly can be under the circumstances. You get him back to training and he's just not at the level. That means he can go straight into the Bielsa team. So it's right, you've got to spend another week trying to get around that running track to get yourself fit. And if you can't do it by, we've got a, a deadline with your contract that we have to think about, we'll just have to push you to the, the last day, see how you are. So there's two angles on it. It's not necessarily that everybody was trying to find a way out of this and there's a big load of secrecy and, the, and what Bielsa was saying was just he is training on his own to get some more fitness I think the fact we had an, a nine-man subs bench and he didn't even make that when we had no other strikers available I don't know it just feels like neither did Ryan Edmondson Ryan Edmondson's fit that's true well he's there seems to be a lot of talk that he's been frozen out as well to a large extent it just feels like he was he was training he was on I'm pretty sure he was on the video at Elland Road training with the rest of them just Bielsa doesn't I think he's ready to play in the championship and that can be ready to play in the championship in terms of your quality or it can be ready to play in the championship in terms of your fitness. And we saw Bielsa on Sunday, at least, he was not taking extra special use of the extra substitutes available. He could have had 20 people sitting there. He still only made three subs. And interesting that one of them is is Perveda, who has gone back in better shape than he was before looking better than he he was before and has done an interview after the game where people have basically said well where have you been since January and he said the things that I've had to do lots of little things to change and learn and adapt to being at this club that are required for me to then have Mr Bielsa looking at me and saying yeah you can go on the pitch and and play now. Well when it comes to the Augustine transfer I guess only time's going to tell and we'll know probably more in the next seven days or thereabouts. I will sound like an idiot on the 30th of June when he is packing his bags for France. But looking ahead to next season, we are being linked with some players. And again, it's all dependent on where we end up really across the next few weeks, isn't it? Uh, However, a couple of names in the fray. Emiliano Martinez, Arsenal goalkeeper. He played against us uh, for Arsenal in the Cup, didn't he, earlier in the season? If you say so. (laughs) I didn't notice. And for Reading, he's the guy that Bamford stuck. uh, Did Bamford score three or should have scored three? More. Who scored the goals against Reading last season? No, Bamford should have scored. I don't think he scored any. Are you talking about the away game? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't score any, but he should have scored about six. But we did score three against him. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we'll know him. Maybe he shouldn't come because he'll only depress Bamford more in training when he can't score past him. Speaking of keepers, Kiko, we've heard a little bit from him and he did an interview in Spain, still not quite saying sorry about the um, the Jonathan Lecco incident at Charlton. Well, he's... Adam and he didn't do anything wrong. Still, they say I said a word I didn't even know existed. If I had said a racist insult, I would have recognised it. I would say it was a word used in the heat of the moment in the game, but it wasn't. I agree with the anti-racist movement, anti-racist movements in the US. I think just learn the word sorry and phone up Jonathan Leco and say, you know, we're, we're miles apart on on this you know maybe you can find a, a way of doing that if they just have a, a chat about it and say look we're we're miles apart on on what we think happened in that incident but it's obviously it's it's turned into a horrible thing and i want to apologize for the part i played in that if if that's as much as he feels he can say despite the 
you know, the tribunal that did find that he was very, very likely to have used a racist insult. Maybe just that the small extension of that slight olive branch might contribute some goodness to the world and help people move on a little bit. One of the criticisms around the Black Lives Matter posting by Leeds United was that no apology has been forthcoming yet to Jonathan Lecco. And actually, they are in a little bit of a pickle when you think about it, because Kiko continues to deny it. The tribunal found him guilty. So where do they sit in this? It's quite a difficult thing, isn't it? Because you completely undermine your own player if you apologise on his behalf, but he's not willing to do so. Get to the end of the season. Sell him. Say sorry. Seems like the best way out of it. Um, the, the thing with uh, Martinez coming in from Arsenal as a goalkeeper is that we're, I think it's generally assumed that we're going to need a new one because Casilla will be going away. Meslier does seem to be the, Bielsa seems like he will be happy for him to be first choice, even in the Premier League. And even though he is very, very young and has barely played in, in English football, but apart from Michael, obviously holding him in contempt for the two goals on um, Sunday. Oh, the, the first one, maybe uh, yeah, it was very minor. It certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't Billy Peacock Farrell. He's looked competent, and his character seems uh, seems fine. But yeah, the, the club just have to kind of. I think they've been put in a position where they've just got to carry on as if Casilla it just isn't part of things until he's gone away, and then maybe yeah, once he's gone, things may become a lot easier. Or if he would just wake himself up and just look at it from maybe from Jonathan Leco's point of view and think, oh, maybe a phone call would, would clear some of this up, even if even if they can't get to everything, even if Leco and West Brom and Charlton are, are demanding that he agree with the, the tribunal resort or whatever, and it doesn't make anybody go any, any further forward. But if he can do an interview in Spain about it, and this isn't the first time he has spoken about it in the, the last couple of months, then he can pick up the phone or he can make contact through somebody, you know, if he's going to do it through the PFA or whoever, just to put something out there to say, I want to apologise for for the situation, even if he will not admit that he was the, the sole cause, <laughs> which I then look at it from Jonathan Lico's point of view and think, well, what was even the point of getting in touch with me then? It's all down to Kiko, basically. And we said the other week that it's a little bit unfortunate for... Leeds United that that gets thrown at the the club in response to any kind of mention of Black Lives Matter or any attempt to show solidarity with anti-racist movements when there's so much in the the club that in the club and its history to be proud of and a lot to not be proud of as well. But there's a lot of good role models at this club, starting with Lucas Radaby, and then you can move on from there. Who I think we should look to as much more aligned with what Leeds United is about and can be about than Kiko Casilla, who basically has come to the club for, has he been here 18 months? He arrived in January, didn't he? Bit better than Bailey Peacock Farrell, but ultimately probably more hassle. And that's, that's it. He'll be forgotten in a few years time, whereas hopefully we'll have a club that we can be proud of still. And Jonathan Lico might have an apology. When it comes to Argentinians, and I'm referring to Emiliano Martinez there, you get a sense that there are going to be a few links, obviously because of uh, Mr. Bielsa. Another one who's been linked, according to reports in Norwich, uh, Emi Buendia, and I've watched a highlights video of him today, which has got a great soundtrack and a great name. 
Uh, 11 minutes of Emi Buendia showing his world class and there is an incredible Balearic chilled house soundtrack behind it. You could be sat watching it on your phone at the Café Del Mar staring off at the sunset. Felt very relaxed, very at peace after I finished watching that. And bloody hell, he's a good footballer. He's a very good footballer. You thought we might have noticed he was a very good footballer when he was on loan at our feeder club, whatever you call them, Cultural Leonesa in the 2017-18 season, where he spent he spent a full year, didn't he play like 40-odd games for them? I think we were feeding them, weren't we? Well, yeah. So I don't know what we didn't see in him then that we've seen now, but I mean, at the time, admittedly, we did have Idiguchi and J. Roy Grot ready to step into the squad for the next season, so maybe we... We decided at that point it wasn't worth having him. But he didn't cost very much either, did he, when Norwich bought him? Didn't they pay hardly anything for him? But he's good on the plus side. I'm glad we're being linked with him now, like I'd have him. And he's a bit size-ish, I would guess, is the, the nearest I can describe him as. This video made me instantly want to go out and sign him whatever the price, because he's a bloody good passer. He can use both his feet, likes to run with it, and he's very strong in possession. And he's good in, like, in close control and in, in tight situations. So we should sign this man whatever the price. Better late than never, I think, is the uh, the rule on this. It is an odd one that we did have the, the relationship with cultural Leonisa that now that Ivan Bravo is not on the board, seems to have um, gone by the wayside, whatever links we still may have to, to Qatar. Because it, it all came through the Aspire Academy link that um, Ivan Bravo, who was our board member, is the director, like the managing director of the Aspire Academy, which is Qatar's project for getting a reasonable team that won't embarrass their states when they host the World Cup, if when that ever happens. And culturally, Anisa were one of their feeder clubs, as were uh, Wuppen in Belgium. And we sent them, did we send them Wazim Boy as well? I think it was Boy went there first and then came back after barely playing. And then Iguchi went there and they just didn't use him. Um, meanwhile, yeah, Buendia was absolutely tearing things up on the pitch for them in what I seem to remember was actually a relegation season. They were pretty bad. If not a relegation season, they got away with it maybe on the last day out of the, the Segunda in, in Spain. And um, the only possible explanation I can think of for him going to Norwich and getting them promoted instead of coming to us and getting them promoted was that at that, that point we had Samu Saiz and it was a a few months before Saiz decided he wanted to go back to Spain and then suddenly we had a, a little blonde munchkin-shaped gap in the squad that would have been filled beautifully by Buendia's skills. But at the same time, we had Pablo Hernandez having his best season of his life last season. And it could be that for the Premier League, where Pablo's legs probably aren't going to be um, his biggest asset, Buendia can come in and share new Pablo duties with Tyler Roberts. It'd be nice to start buying some of Norwich's best players, wouldn't it? I feel we owe them a few. I don't want many more of them. But I mean, they're just getting relegated, aren't they? But I mean, I would take him. Would you have Pookie as well if the chance came up? Yeah, I would give him half a mil for him or something, you know, take him take him off their hands. Well, RIP to um, Jonathan Woodgate's managerial career, but great news for one of the, the game's favourites, a real champion in the eyes of Leeds fans and football fans from across the UK, if not the world. Welcome back. Neil Warnock. I, I was probably not alone in seeing the news would get as was sacked and thinking, this will be Warnock in here. And then literally within the same statement, it says, Neil Warnock will take over. And you go, oh, okay, they've already done it. Fair enough. Because it, it, it was linked with this ages ago, wasn't it? I'm sure around the time we played them, this was being lined up. 
And they seem to have gone, no, no, we'll stick with Wilgate. We'll give him a chance. The break might do him good. And then they come back and they've been 3-0 down within half an hour or whatever it was. And they've just gone, yeah, call the bad man. Get him on the phone now. The reports about uh, Saturday's Middlesbrough game on their local paper, Gazette Live, said uh, the, the shambolic opening period against Swansea City was very possibly the worst half this season. And that is saying something. Woodgate opted for 4 2 3 1, raising eyebrows by leaving Roberts, who I think is somebody that just got on loan for Manchester City. Ashley Fletcher, who is, isn't he like a £9 million striker? And Britta Sombolonga, who cost some 12, 15 million quid, all on the bench. And then uh, they came on for the second half, and the, the description of the second half was, in inverted commas, better. But yeah, he's, he's absolutely fucked it up, big style. The, the league table as it turns out, is not laying. I almost want our promotion to be wrapped up as quickly as Adam Forshaw um, promised me. He signed his statement in blood that it would be so that I can watch the carnage at the bottom of the table because you've got Hull, who are hilarious and don't know how to use portable document format and whether you can copy and paste a redacted document as easily as uh, as it turns out you can. And they are just losing game after game. They're now level on points with Middlesbrough, who are just above the, the drop zone. You've got Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County still looking at those points deductions for financial bad things nervously. And you've got Barnsley zipping around down there, threatening to sue the fuck out of everybody if if um, Sheffield Wednesday and Derby don't go down. And Lee Bowyer's Charlton, Lee Bowyer's probably on the phone to... Woodgate saying, uh, "Well, I'm still in a job. Just, just saying. How, how, how was your, how was your weekend? We, we came out of the, uh, out of the relegation places. We're, we're doing really well down here at Charlton. You, any good? Well, Warnock will be making the journey somehow from down in the southwest up to uh, to Middlesbrough. And a very timely tweet today from Teesside International Airport, which." is notoriously at the railway station there. And there's like one train a week or something. It's in such a bad place. Nobody wants to use it. However, they have said, welcome to Borough, Neil Warnock. We hope you make the most of the new Eastern Airways new key flight from Teesside Airport. Tell you what, why not grab yourself a bargain for forty nine ninety nine before July the 6th? You get a sense that you might be. I do have my suspicions about this because even um, Warnock, okay, here's a quick quiz. Who did he give his first interview to today after getting the job? BBC Sheffield. Nope. Think National. Nixon. Talk Sport. Come on. Talk Sport. Get with the programme. And uh, obviously, he loves Steve Gibson. I think he described him once as the perfect chairman. He said, I don't think I would have driven up this far for anybody else, to be honest. Steve has always been high on my thoughts. And I thought, if I could help, I would do. I hadn't thought about it until last night. To, to be honest, he's been linking himself with this job for months. Everybody knows it. Sharon was uh, was okay with me coming up. I was a, a bit dubious when she closed the door so quickly. And that's, I know people might think that was me doing a, some kind of weak impression of Neil Warnock, but those were his words. Sharon was okay with me coming up. I was a bit dubious when she closed the door so quickly. The idea that Middlesbrough have basically appointed a caricature of himself. Oh, wives, eh? Women. Oh, women. Imagine women. What look at they do? What they do? They're, they're indoors. What do they do, right? <laughs> they just want us out of house, don't they? <laughs> and I don't know how much out of the house he's going to be because they're saying this afternoon that they're going to be keeping Jonathan Woodgate on in some capacity. And I don't know if it's going to be the case that they're going to have to 
say to Woodgate that look, well, Colin says he can only come like for match days, and there's quite you know there's a lot. He'll be up here a lot Wednesdays and Saturdays. But could could you just could you look after the lads when he's when he's not here? You'll be working for um. It's all right. You'll you'll have some new people to help you because he's bringing in Kevin Blackwell and Ronnie Jepson. So that'll be all right. They'll help you. It sounds like it's getting very weird up there. They have definitively sacked Robbie Keane, though. I don't know if he'll if he's had anything to say on that. Oh, from his boyhood club as well. Given I don't know what I said, um, I suppose he's just very fucking disappointed. Probably going. Is he still? Um, does he do do work with Ireland still? I can't remember. I'm not sure because Mick McCarthy checked out early as well, didn't he? Decided he. Because he had a contract until the European Championships because they're not going to be played for a year. He decided to leave so he can watch Leeds United more often. So I don't know if they kicked Robbie Keane out at the, the same time. Maybe he's, maybe he's most annoyed at Jonathan Woodgate for losing the last job he's, he had. I'm quite annoyed at Woodgate as well because he's done such a spectacularly bad job at Middlesbrough that it really won't be that difficult for Warnock to come in and do better. And then he'll be able to show off about what a brilliant job he's done because he'll get him to... 17th this season or something which given like you say they've got you know 20 million quid of the strikers on the bench that's not that difficult is it compared to the resources of other people down there like Hull have sold all the good players and Barnsley and Luton who are operating with like squads that have cost a total of about a million quid he's not going to have to do very very much to get them better than they are funnily enough that seems to be very much Neil Warnock's attitude towards the whole thing as well there are some big teams down there. It's a difficult league and there's no divine rights. You don't get an easy game. It's just about giving the lads a bit of confidence and trying to get a result. It's a, it's a change of voice uh, at this stage. And we just got to try to get the right results to make sure the club stabilises itself and stays in the division. That's all. Good habits. I always expect my players to give me everything. And there won't be many problems with me, I don't think. A lot of things are said about me, but most of it's not true. Especially the uh, the, the legal the legal stuff. My, my lawyers have, have cleared most of that up. I just have to smile, get on with it. So that's his uh, that's his intention. Smile, get on with it. The players have got to give him everything and try to win some games. You'd think Woody could have sorted that out himself. You know they said they're keeping Woody on. Actually, I've had a think now, now about what he's going to do. Do you remember that you know little old fella who used to pootle about on the river? behind um, Shrewsbury's old ground, collecting balls out of the river that got punted over the stand. You know, we're Warnock going up there, don't you? It's going to be a slightly more industrial style of football. That's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be pissing about on the river tees in the depths of winter, fishing balls out that have been booted over. The chemical infected river. <laughs> yeah, slightly more industrial style of river as well. He's going to be, he'll be out there on a container barge. <laughs> a little bit. Going back and forth, pumping oil into the, uh, into the water. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. 
Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Holy shit. Fulham at home on Saturday. If Mitrovic could somehow get injured between now and Saturday, I'd feel much, much happier. Because they're just all about Mitrovic from what I've seen of them. What's what's on? I watched, other than the opening sort of 20 minutes or so, I watched the game on, um, against Brentford. And it was just them crossing the ball to Mitrovic over and over again. And him almost scoring several times. So if we can stop him doing that, I think we'll be fine. How many goals did he score? Well, after some impromptu research on the internet there, Moscow, I think the answer to that question is none. And how many did he score against us in open fair play in the game earlier in the season? Is the answer to that also none? Exactly. He got a a joke of a penalty from a referee, Tim Robinson, who were yet another neighbour's reject. Uh, And apart from that, Ben White, Liam Cooper did not give him a sniff. I'm not worried about Mitrovic. He's terrible against us. No fear. Jesus. Jesus Christ, man. What have you just done? Nice one, Adam Forshaw. He's more frightened of England's Ben White than uh, we should be of him. And Scotland's Liam Cooper, not to downplay our other centre-back. Well, let's hope so. I mean, I know objectively that we are better than these this team, but it's just that it's the football factor. It's the Leeds factor. It's our ability to shoot ourselves in the foot when it matters. And the Cardiff thing has put everyone just on a little bit more of a nervous edge and I don't like it and I don't want to think about it. But unfortunately, because we have to do this podcast, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you just hope for a a repeat of the West Brom game where we turned up last season with everyone nervous and then we just spanked them 4-0 and were a goal up in the first 20 seconds and it felt like everything would be fine, even though ultimately it wasn't fine. But it was fine in that game and we're very near the end now. So if we can just... Do similar things to Fulham, just take them apart. It'll just hopefully put them in their place for the rest of the season. And if I remember correctly, and I often don't, so I'm ready to be told off. We weren't doing very well before that West Brom game, were we? No, there was a load of talk about burnout and Bielsa teams always do this and we were we were too tired and we'd lost all our, our rhythm and stuff. And then we just came out and destroyed them, which was quite nice. I think that's why the Cardiff game annoying as it was, can work in our favour that it kind of... I think sometimes this bunch of lads, great lads though they are, need that little bit of focus. It's like the the change from Nottingham Forest to Brentford that Luke Hayling's spoken about loads where they, they needed to switch the mindsets, get switched on basically and concentrate on, on what they were doing. And there was a, 
you know, there was a little bit of that in, in both the goals that we conceded to Cardiff, Calvin Phillips, when he, he laid that, that ball off, trying to give it to Ben White. He was looking at Liam Cooper, pointing where he should pass the ball and not paying enough attention to what he was doing. And that's the kind of thing that can happen after three months without playing a competitive game. But it's the kind of thing that once it's happened, you know, you go and put the the apology on Instagram and then you go to training and Marcelo Bielsa is not interested in your apology on Instagram. He's interested in you not making that sort of mistake again. And you don't. I think um, the, the possible benefit of that defeat is that it could be the sort of thing that sets up another good run of of wins and at least gets us concentrated for this game. I think it would be a huge, huge shot in the arm for us to beat Fulham at the weekend because that would then open that gap up to 10 points and obviously we'll know what's happening between um, West Brom and Brentford prior to that. So the opportunity is there again and none of us as fans were fearful of the opportunity going into Cardiff. It's only since we've lost at Cardiff that the fear's setting again. So hopefully over the next few days, everyone will just relax a little bit. The anticipation will grow if we get something like a good result on, on Friday. I mean, what is a good result on Friday? Because that might be the thing that gives us more confidence. But what are we looking for out of that from uh, West Brom and Brentford? West Brom win just to open that gap up? A West Brom win or a Brentford or a draw. I think I wouldn't particularly like a Brentford win because that had to feel like they were getting within touching distance of us. But a draw with some nice red cards and injuries, that'd probably suit. Because I think sometimes in this, we forget that West Brom are, are catchable as well. We're focused on us being caught by Fulham, but there is another team in there as well. And there are two places. Yeah, Brentford, for some reason, Brentford don't worry me too much. I feel like they've got, they've not got the consistency to do what's necessary to overtake us over the next eight games. And I noticed Colin Wanker, who we referred to earlier, has been blowing back and forth like a barn door in a, a gale over this one where a few weeks ago he said, well, I think, you know, Brentford are the best team in the division. You know, they've got the best strikers. And uh, he's, he's got, I think Brentford are the, are the best team. And then before the weekend, he was saying, well, I mean, Leeds and West Brom, they're, just, they're the best teams in the division out there. You, you, you can't see anybody catching them. And then after the weekend, he was always going, well, Brentford, you know, Brentford have got a very good team. Good side, Brentford. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, they've got to be looking over the shoulders at the, at the top there. So he was unhelpful. But I don't think... Um, you know, Brentford aren't catching us. They'll get close, but then you'll remember they've got Pontus Janssen at the back and he's, you know, he's too um, temperamental. He'll start crying and lose. If you've been tracking the booze baton with us across the season, that is uh, determining the location of our end of season promotion party, which is still definitely happening. Uh, last we had it in Madrid in the hands of Atletico. They beat Osasuna and Valladolid since the, um, the lockdown was lifted and the games resumed there. They're playing Levante uh, this evening as we record this. Is that right? Yes, so it could. I mean, Levante is Valencia, so we were hoping for it to be a Bielsa event, but I suppose a Pablo Hernandez event would be all right as well. Uh, Ian Hart used to play for them, so it could be an, an Ian Hart event if that appeals to anybody. Like I say, a Pablo Hernandez event. And Crystal Palace has still got the UK version of the booze bat on. Uh, they beat Bournemouth at the weekend now. This is where the plan comes unstuck again. Uh, they go to Anfield through the week and it's basically going to end up back at Liverpool, isn't it? You would think so. I mean, in fairness, I'd rather go to Liverpool for a night out than Croydon. The world's starting back up again now and you can get in touch with our podcast partner, Levi Solicitors, if you need some legal assistance. 10% off for everybody who goes through us. Residential law, including wills and probate, family stuff, employment law. Or if you've got a business, they can take care of licensing, commercial property, uh, dispute resolution, 
get in touch with them and grab your discount right now by heading to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Final part of the podcast now when we pick our heroes and villains and first is the Ken Bates Villainy Award and, well, tangentially at least, we've got um, a nomination for Ken Bates in the first part of this. What's he been up to? He just got a mention was the the reason he's in here. It's, it's actually David Haig who you would be forgiven for thinking was now an irrelevance but no, he's managed to to drag himself back to into the media somehow. But he was saying, as if it was a somehow praise of himself, that he was the one of the very few people who could get on with Ken Bates, which I would take to be a huge negative, to be perfectly honest. But he seems proud of it. I suspect he's found himself back in the media because that's his oxygen, is my guess. I don't know. What do you think? Well, he was in Private Eye last week, and I think David Haig is worth a, a nomination on his own, off his own back for for all this because a, a couple of weeks ago we didn't bother mentioning it because he's nothing really to do with Leeds United and yet here he is. But his um, the ongoing uh, court case in which reading every time it, there comes a judgment, they just keep proving again and again and again that he, he is guilty as charged of fraud from taking money from Gulf Finance House. And however you may feel about that, the, the court's, seem to be taking a dim view of um, of him spending years not coming up with any conceivable viable explanation for why. I think it's more than, it's about three and a half million pounds of their money went into his accounts and he claimed it was nothing to do with him. And one of the, the interesting details from the Private Eye story the other week is that his sister has now uh, been giving evidence against him and, and considering how much of... Uh, the sympathy card he played about his treatment in jail in Dubai. Um, she claims that she was being put under unbearable pressure from her brother who kept phoning her every day from jail where um, he had access to a phone and computer with internet access. And uh, she describes his stay as uh, in a D- D- Dubai, Nick, as comfortable, saying he was treated as a form of minor celebrity. And David said he had his own butler which is very much at odds with the impression that he likes to give off about that time. And yes, so again and again and again, these judgments keep being made against him. And again and again and again, he goes out and gives an interview to some unwitting journalists who don't look into his backstory, basically dragging Leeds United into it. His his latest thing is that when um, Robbie Rogers was invited back to Leeds, David Haig describes as essentially gay day, at Leeds. Um, we had Robbie there, he says. We had Stonewall banners all around the ground. He says that that angered Gulf Finance House to the extent that they then had him put in jail in Dubai. And so that's, he says, that's what caused the seven years of disputes which are ongoing, which again, to describe, did you use the phrase seven years of disputes which are ongoing about allegations about fraud that he has committed that have been consistently proven again and again in courts in two jurisdictions. Were they, were they more annoyed about some banners or about the millions of pounds that were missing? I don't know. Which do you think it would be? And if you want to, I mean, there's a lot to get into with David Hayes' current doings that are just too annoying, but he's, he's spent the last couple of years basically setting himself as a, a, a freedom fighter for people who are in jail in Dubai. But part of that, uh, one of the, the current accusations is that he's been taking Daily Mail articles about other people's work, uh, helping get people out of jail in the Middle East and changing the name from the actual lawyers to his own. 
and putting it onto his website where he claims to be an Interpol and extradition specialist with 10 years of experience. But yeah, the the allegation there is that um, although he changed the name, he didn't change the pronouns. So it was all he was described as, as she when it was referring to David Haig's incredible work. But all of that stuff is such a, you scratch the surface and it's just an absolute hellhole on Twitter of arguments and counter arguments. And really this is somebody who needs to just remove himself from Leeds United's orbit and not use us as a crutch to defend himself with. I feel like at some point there'll be like an eight part Netflix special about him and Leeds United will be about a 10 second clip of it because what he'll have done in the future will be so ridiculous that it'll actually put all the stuff that has happened to date as like just a little, a little 10 minute intro. Dave Exotic, brilliant. Right, on to Neil Warnock. He's having a mention, isn't he? For, for whatever he's done, just getting another job, darkening our door. The experienced Neil Warnock, as Middlesbrough's uh, statement clarified, I think they wanted to, in case there was any nervousness and doubt amongst the Middlesbrough fan base that they might have got the inexperienced Neil Warnock, that he was going to come up and he was going to be fumbling around, not really, not quite knowing what he was doing. So, I mean, I've been told it's uh, going to do something with the big lads, but I don't know where to put him. Um, it is the they've got the experienced one, so that's that's good for them. But yeah, he's he's not going to manage them for enough games to get this tiresome record that he wants, is he? Oh, isn't it? I thought he was really close to it. Wasn't it one and a half thousand games he wanted to get to? I thought I thought he only had six to go. I've decided I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think he needs a nomination because apart from anything else, he's been saying he's retiring since. 2005 but when he got the Palace job he's, after Sheffield United he was like this will be one more challenge since then he's done Palace QPR Leeds Palace QPR Rotherham Cardiff and now Middlesbrough just fucking retire it's because it allows him to set himself up as uh, as doing everybody a favour isn't it by oh, I've postponed my retirement I just did it just one more gig go on then it was a favour well that's it and he's He's in the perfect position because he said about this, you know, uh, you know, Steve's a, he's a great chairman. And uh, I, I thought, if I can help him out, I will. Because if they do get relegated, it's not going to be my fault, is it? It's bloody Johnny. He's made an absolute pig's ear of it. So if I can't sort it out, it just shows what a bad job uh, Woodgate's done. I mean, I knew they were in trouble, but until I got there... Oh, you know, I did my best to save him. And, uh, but the, you know, the good thing is uh, I did get me 1,500th game. And I think he will. Uh, I've just found the the quote that he was on 1,496. So we're four games away from, I mean, it would be beautiful if his 1,500th game was the one that sent Middlesbrough down. And yet he was still at full time. Going, I mean, I've had a great career. I mean, today doesn't change anything. I think I'm a Premier League manager and I know, oh, it's a shame that Middlesbrough, uh, they tell me they can't survive in League One, so they're essentially going to have to close it down. But I'm looking forward to my retirement. You know, Sharon, she says uh, uh, she's happy to get me out, out of the house with this. I think she's got a picture needs putting up or something. Um, but, but really, I think what's important over the last few weeks is to remember this is all Jonathan Woodgate's fault. And I've, you know, I've just tried to help the lad out. He's a a lovely fella. He's been hanging around, but uh, he could do nothing because he's thick. (laughs) Well, let's hope that they go down. And let's also hope that Aston Villa go down from the Premier League, which looks quite likely at the moment, because they've they've suddenly become a real irritant. A couple of candidates that we could nominate for this this week. It's probably old news now, but that goal that Sheffield United were denied purely because Dean Smith doesn't see any value in a FIFA Fair Play award is scandalous in the context of what went off last season. He was, to the credit, I don't know who it was that um, put him on the spot about it, but he was asked why they didn't put the uh, uh, the ball in the net on Sheffield United's behalf, 
when it was such an obvious goal. Um, and he's just basically kicked off about Leeds last season. Oh, well, you know, we, we, we had a, they had a play down inch and we put the ball out. Meh, 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 meh. Um, and that's, but what's crucial on it is he says uh, their manager, Marcelo Bielsa, use his name, their manager rightly thought it was the right thing to do. That's sporting integrity. This is technology. It's totally different. Totally different. <laughs> no opportunity for you to bring some sporting integrity to the situation. No, this is this. No, th- we don't need sporting integrity here. It's completely ignoring the fact that the technology is there to ensure sporting integrity. That's literally the only pay, the only reason technology exists. They're not doing it because it'd be nice to showcase some gadgets. It's not linesmen on hoverboards or anything. It's there to check that this sort of stuff is correct and that the correct decisions are made. And it failed on this occasion. So it completely is sporting integrity. And the sum total of that is not that when the top technology fails, cheat. That's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> Lads, the VAR's down. Get, get, get eye gouging. <laughs> what I'm enjoying at the minute with Dean Smith is, you know, with every additional game that they lose, you know, he's kind of got that real exasperated, strained look on his face. He looks like when a dog licks a lemon. That's what he's starting to look like now. That screwed up face. It's absolutely wonderful. He's getting pinker as well. The worse their season gets, which is quite pleasing. I mean, so far they've managed to get, they've managed to drag down their points per game average, haven't they? Because they've managed to get one from the two they've played so far. Having said, they definitely deserve to stay up at one point. So let's just hope they go down. Do you think Neil Warnock can manage two teams at once? Because he start start of the week in Birmingham, end of the week in uh, could break up his journey, couldn't it? He could. And uh, I thought Sharon, it, you know, it gets it gets me out of the house. And there's some uh, some lovely hotels. Most of them are shut, so I'm going to have to sleep in a in a in a bin. But uh, Ross McCormack's got a place uh, in Birmingham. He might be able to put me up. Yeah, it's got on well with Ross. We have to mention Jack Grealish in the context of Villa because. They are setting records of one description anyway, that Grealish has now become the most fouled uh, Premier League player since the Premier League started. And this um, this table that somebody's copied onto our prep sheet that shows the numbers, it's interesting how the right-hand column, it's not a number of times being fouled, it's fouls one. And I think that is very much the correct label to apply to a lot of what happens to Jack Grealish. This, and all the, the, the main thing to look at on that table is that they, those figures are taken at the end of a season. And Jason Roberts was top with 127. Jack Grealish has got nine games left this season. Or is it eight? I can't remember. Lots of games left. And he's top by a mile. Like he's, he's points and points clear. Are we expected to believe that in the history of the Premier League, because this table goes back to 98-99, which I don't know if that's when stats started or when, when this has uh, just gone from, but in that time you've had brilliant footballers and renowned cheats like Suarez and... Cristiano Ronaldo in the league, and they've got nowhere near him. Are we supposed to believe that in the 20 years of some of the best footballers in the world playing in the league, none of them has have somehow been subjected to the treatment that poor Jackie Grealish has had to endure? It's because he's such a special and unique talent that he's had to have this, this unique treatment handed out to him to keep him under control. Or do we conclude that he's a cheating little greasy f- You... You've just got to put yourself in Virgil van Dijk's shoes and you'll be terrified of him. How, how else are you going to stop Jack Grealish if you can't foul him? A player like uh, van Dijk wouldn't stand a, a chance against some fucking two-bit pompadoured wannabe playmaker from a relegation team. We'll just have to kick him, lads. Get in on him early and don't let up. He's dangerous. I mean, looking at the rest of this table, it's got... Um... Well, Grealish is at the top of it, but then there's Jason Roberts, Zaha, Huckabee, Don Hutchinson, weirdly, is on it. 
and then um, Eden Hazard down the bottom. But the, their range is 113 to 127. So, you know, it's, it's fairly small increments between each person. If Grealish continues at the rate he's at, he's going to end the season on 180 fouls. So he's going to be like, he's going to be 42% higher than anyone before him. And that's not how records work, is it? Records get broken incrementally. Like someone does the 100 metres in 10 seconds and the next person's 9.97 or whatever. Grealish has essentially done the cheating equivalent of running the 100 metres in about six seconds, at which point <laughs> someone would go, six seconds seems really quick, doesn't it? Like some, there's something else going on there. That's not a normal thing to do. There's definitely something we need to look at. He is a massive cheat. I mean, the game has changed in that it's a lot more whistle happy and free kicks get given a lot more easily than they used to be. So I think we're going to see the foul count go up, but he really is a cheating bastard, isn't he? I mean, there's no other way to dress it up. I mean, I once made the mistake of accusing Wilfred Zaha of diving on Twitter and some like little army of Palace fans all started hounding me. And he does dive as well. He goes down in the same way as Grealish does to an extent where he, he looks for he looks for people to touch him and then goes down. And he's nowhere near him. And he's playing in the same era as Jack Grealish. And even he can't get anywhere near him. So you've got to almost be amazed. And the other thing of this is they've not seen this and gone, bloody hell, he's cheating a lot. The, Dean Smith's gone, well, he needs more protection then. No, he's getting protection. He's getting he's getting hundreds and hundreds of free kicks more than anyone in the history of football. He's getting protection. Give him less protection. Allow people, Referees should really take a look at this and go, do you know what? Everyone gets a free one on Jack. So according to this maths, he gets fouled 4.66666 times per game on average based on the stats so far. The number of the beast. Exactly that. Um, who else do we have then in terms of candidates here? Let's plough through these. Sticking with annoying Premier League managers who shouldn't be Chris Wilder, who's come up with the new... You know how um, doing a Leeds is on is it uh, Korean Wikipedia as a, as a thing from the, the Ridsdale era? He's come up with the phrase, doing a Marcelo. He, says, he was talking about um, the game against Villa and how uh, there wouldn't be any surprises in, in either of uh, the team sheets and uh, that he wasn't going to be amazed by Aston Villa's lineup. He says, without doing a Marcelo, peering over fences at Boy Maurif, we can say the same about Aston Villa. And then I tell you, and then there's what I'm taking this as um, threats of violence. If he if he'd done that here, Bielsa, I think the outcome might have been a little bit different with what happened at Derby. Seeing the size of our security guards, that's a threat of assault, isn't it? That some innocent intern sent to, to gather some information about another football team would have been roughed up by the the security guards at Sheffield United's training ground would seem to be running like a, a nightclub with the doors of joking aside though still found it pretty amusing so just to leave the jokes to one side it's funny I mean the guy I assume he was staring at his mental image of his Pat Bamford dartboard as he was spitting all this out but um, don't call him Marcelo Chris who is he to you he is Mr Bielsa Another disrespectful little prick who I want to chuck in the hat here is Matt Grimes as well, who's finally confessed that he acted like a dickhead when he came to Leeds. Uh, you've seen his quote, it was, I was a little bit naive to the size of the club Leeds were. I was a youngster at the time. I didn't realise how big a club it was in the fan base. I just thought I was going to play every week and get my career going again. No, you didn't because you were shit and your mum's shit as well. 
I was going to say, I hope, I hope, someone's, I hope you've told your mum this as well, because she seemed to blame Leeds United for it. It's not about the size of the club either. It's, it's how awful he was on the pitch. I mean, like, consistently did nothing to an extent that is rarely seen. Normally you'd say someone's bad in an identifiable way. Matt Grimes was bad by being completely hidden somehow whilst being on the pitch. I think his mum's on her way around. Be careful for a, a knock on your door in the night. Right, that's quite a lot of candidates. Let's pick a villain. Can we give it to Aston Villa as a whole? Neil Warnock? I don't know. It's a strong, strong list, actually. It is. It's a heavy week. I mean, I, I get the feeling we probably gave it to David Hagel lots back in the day. Um, and we need to remove our uh, association with him. He probably lists it on his website as amongst his achievements. <laughs> <laughs> he, once had, uh, he once had that video I did of him um, when he completely zoned out in the middle of the, the press conference to introduce Brian McDermott when this so-called you know, extradition expert who is the terror of courtrooms across the world was asked one question in an hour and managed half a sentence before staring into the distance. And I put that up with them. Um, uh, enjoy the silence by Depeche Mode starts playing over the top, and he put it on his website as if because he'd, he'd misunderstood that it was only captioned as David Hager, Brian McDermott's uh, press conference, and he thought it was just a, a clip of him being great. So he probably is mad enough to to do this. I, I think Aston Villa, yeah, give it to them. Just in in general, you think because I was going to advocate for Warnock and then tie it into the Andy Hughes Hero Award and say. Because he's done, he's done a former Leeds United favourite out of a job and a young man who was doing a great job at Middlesbrough and should have been given more time. Could we tie it to that or are you happy to go with Villa? I think Johnny Housen is still the captain and I think he'll be absolutely delighted to see uh, Neil Warnock back. Adam Clayton too, two, uh, two players who really enjoyed their time with, well, Housen had gone just before he arrived, didn't he? Maybe that's, um, I suppose he's lucky that he can't be sold this time. Yeah, Adam Clayton was sold to fund Paddy Kenny's transfer, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And then uh, celebrated his goal against Leeds by sliding on his knees uh, in front of Neil Warnock. I think it was only um, the better part of his valour that prevented him from flicking the Vs as he did so. Uh, give it to Aston Villa. I think we're going to have a lot of Warnock ahead of us. I think Villa have peaked. Yeah, seems fair. As a football club, they've been very, very annoying this week and they shouldn't even be on our radar, but they've put themselves on our radar. And we shall remove them again when we pass them, when we go up and they get relegated. So other candidates then for the Andy Hughes Hero Award. Matthew Smith. Beautiful. What a, we never saw him as a playmaker, did we? Speak for yourself. Maybe he's the Pablo replacement we've been crying out for. Nutmegging, dinking through balls. I do have a slight uh, temptation to nominate him for villain because he's going mainstream. I think I preferred it when I was the only person who rated him. And he nutmegged Wayne Rooney which is what's got him this uh, this nomination. I'd also like to extend that into Wayne Rooney himself for that picture that did the rounds of him taking the knee at the start of Derby's first game back, reminding all men of a certain age that our physiques aren't that bad after all, because he looked like he's been enjoying lockdown. Yes, yeah, I think they, they ran out of treadmills and stuff, didn't they, when they got down to number 32 on the squad list. They obviously forgot that they had one of their key players that far down. So, ah, it's fine. Must be a reserve player. Just let him go around the park or whatever. I mean, modern footballers at the top level do get a lot of grief. And you, you look at them sometimes and you think it's unfair. You look at James Milner and you think, you know, what a, a role model he is, somebody who's never been a, a, a blink of trouble to anybody in his career, has always tried his best, popular with the fans, plays all over the, the pitch. And look at his condition. And it's no wonder that, you know, he's, he's a, a Champions League winner. And him and Wayne Rooney are the same age. And then you look at Wayne Rooney and you just think, you are a 
fucking disgrace. I don't care what you did at, at scum. Yeah, you might have won a few medals when you were young, but the way that you just you've carried yourself since what you doing playing in the MLS. Uh, how old was he? He can't have been. I don't even know how old he was when he was over there. But the the kind of age when uh, James Milner essentially is just getting into his peak. Yeah. So Wayne Rooney. I know you've nominated him as a as a hero, but I've I've got big villain vibes against him for giving good people like James Milner a bad name. Well, just looking through the list of candidates so far for this hero award, we've got Matt Smith who plays for some other team. Don't know where they are. Uh, Wayne Rooney, Jonathan Woodgate. It feels like we need a little bit of leads. So can we introduce some leads for this category? Uh, Gary Monk. Well, it's not necessarily Gary Monk, but this is a big shout out to um, Teesside Live, the Gazette's uh, website, which is always looking for the the news about Jonathan Woodgate um, running Middlesbrough Football Club into the ground. He has said on his um, Instagram page that he'll always still be um, a Middlesbrough fan. I think he's got he's got about six weeks of that left because they're going to have to just shut it down when they get relegated, but they still have a big section on their homepage for Middlesbrough News about Gary Monk. Um, there's one, two, three, four, five stories there just about Gary Monk, each one with a, a picture of Gary Monk. And um, it's a strange thing to do. It's like just if, you, if you were to go on um, a Leeds United News website and they just have a special section with updates about you know Paul Heckingbottom. Yes, indeed. I want to nominate Marcelo Bielsa for being beautiful, despite things not quite getting off to the start that we wanted. We need to have some proper leads in there. The quote from his brother Raphael explains why we always see him in club wear and track suits. And it's the reason we all thought he wears leisure wear so much. Well, yeah, because if he didn't, if he actually dressed to be as good looking as he truly is, he would be dangerous. You couldn't let him out. I know he gets a lot of attention walking the streets, but this would be a very different kind of attention if he was actually uh, as smart as he could be. Uh, Raphael describes him as a as a guy with a fabulous look. He looked like a movie actor. He says, um, there are men and women who have natural beauty, but they react disdainfully to their appearances as if they consider they've not earned that beauty and therefore do not give it any importance. From disdain for physical beauty to comfort, there is a step, says Raphael. There is nothing more comfortable than taking a bath, putting on joggers, a T-shirt and a pair of slippers. And that became a habit for him. So essentially... Marcelo Bielsa is not interested in how beautiful he is because it's not something that he worked to achieve. Um, and he discovered the delights of uh, joggers and slippers and all. He's really, he's, he's this close. I know Raphael says it's a step from uh, um, physical beauty to comfort. I think it's another step to a onesie. And that's what I want to see in the, the Premier League next season is Marcelo Bielsa sitting on his bucket in a Leeds United onesie as comfortable and as delightful as he can possibly be. As a man who's spent a good three months in um, joggers and a t-shirt, I'm going to go with the same excuse as well. That it's uh, I've got a natural beauty, but I've just reacted disdainfully to it. So I'm just wearing my uh, my sloppy sloppy stuff around the house. I've got a, a great vision of him at a, a young age, suddenly smashing all the mirrors in his house because he is just too beautiful to look at. It's a problem we've all faced. Um, given that he's the only actual Leeds candidate in this, are we going to give him the hero award then for this, for rejecting the cheap pursuit of beauty and pursuing a far more beautiful and noble cause on the football pitch? I mean, it'd be easier if you'd beaten Cardiff. Not bad. Give it to Johnny Woodgate, I say. Yeah. I mean, it's the only award he's going to get. I've enjoyed his season an awful lot. He gave us the lay-in. He's given us Middlesbrough almost relegated, which is, uh, well, I'm not particularly bothered about Middlesbrough. I do think it's funny. He has, however, given Neil Warnock a job. 
That's true, but he has given us six points and that's more important than anything else whatsoever. So let's go, All right, let's give it Woodgate, let's give it Woodgate and we'll wrap it up there then. So more Extra Ball and Championship Manager on our subscription channels this week. Phil Hayes show on Friday morning preview in Fulham and then we'll be looking back on it on the match ball on Saturday after the match and over the coming weeks because there's a bit of a squeeze on fixtures. We might be doing a slightly abridged format from the regular show. Maybe a pre-match ball for you instead because um, it's going to be pretty tight turnaround ahead of Luton next week. And if you want one of the new Bielsa mugs, move quickly because they've sold out twice already. Links to those are at thesquareball.net. We'll catch you at the weekend. We'll see you in a bit. Bye-bye. The Square Ball Podcast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.